0: Hey
1: everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Lieutenant Chris Towski of the Cambridge Fire Department. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is the podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. In this episode, Chris and I discuss the massive multi-day f- lithium-ion battery fire in Morris, Illinois. We walk through the full timeline of the fire and the fallout post-extinguishing of the event. As we walked through this event, Lieutenant Towski gives us insight on what the fire services may have been thinking and the tactics they used to fight the fire and get it under control. Beyond the fire, we discussed what are the challenges we as builders and enforcers will face when technology like lithium ion batteries and energy storage outpaces the codes. But before we get started, I wanted to say thanks to some folks for writing reviews on Apple Podcasts. We picked up two more in July, and here they are. Wicked awesome. We know we're from Boston. We know where this guy's from. Uh, Jbar one, two, three. I'm new to the party, but very excited for future episodes. The backlog, and I'm all in, going to enjoy, as a benefit of being a listener, great pod. I have 27 years in the trades. And I've been recommending the show to all my fellows on the current gig. Expect a few more fans hopping aboard soon, Joe. Thanks for this. Number two. Again, so July 6th and July 16th. uh, Industry perception. This was a great episode, Mr. Kelly. Mr. Kelly, that's a new one. Uh, Of course, not surprised. This was good and would be great to hear more like this one. Talking with the different locals and trades. Hearing views and outlooks on the industry like normal you hit another one out of the park. So it's great to see that uh, both of those obviously were um, folks that may have been in the trades, but both of them were very interested in the show with um, Eddie O'Keefe, where we talked about the perception of the building trades. We talked about union versus open shop and what we could do to make our industry better. So I'm really glad to see that that one continues to hit home. Now, before we wrap up, Um, I also want to remind folks that the Discord continues to grow, so please join us, uh, DM me if you're interested in an invite. And one last thing before we get started, I had a listener reach out with an idea last week, which was to have a show where I get interviewed. The thought being is I'm always interviewing people about their processes, journeys, and experiences. Why not flip the script and tell mine? The idea has grown on me, so please reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or at massconstruction.org if you have a question that you'd like to have answered. Enjoy the show. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Mass Construction Show.
0: Well, thanks for having me back. Nice to be a repeat client.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's funny. I'm getting more and more folks coming back again and... um. You know, some of that is because it's ease, but some of it is because um, I think people like to hear um, people's perspectives and they start to know them a little bit. Like, oh, hey, Eric Sanford thinks this way or Greg Garvin thinks this way or Mike Yanovich or Christosky or whoever um, or Andy Colometta. They, they want to kind of see their perspective on things and they get to know them. I know there's been some podcasts over the years that i listen listened to. And when I see a certain guest that's on... And I know that they are regular. I'm like, oh, I always enjoy what that person has to say, you know. So that I, I I always make sure I seek that out and kind of listen to that one because I like those people. Um, so I, in the background, it's kind of like, okay, I want to try and bring some people on more regularly, um, either because they're well received the first time, or I find they're interesting, or I think if people hear from them more, they'll uh, it'll be a good way for them to get educated. So it's both out of ease, but it's more because it's intentional. I think bringing people on and get allowing people to get to know uh, guests as regulars, I think is a, is a good thing for everybody that listens. So a little bit of a tangent there, but that's, that's kind of why this uh, happened. So.
0: Well, and it's good. I mean, it, especially with the, it just goes to show that the topics that you do put on your, your, your show, they don't just end there. They're, they're a, they're a continuation, you know, the, the, they go in hand in hand with what's, you know, changes and what's developed since the, since it went, you know, live or whatever the, the last time. So there's a lot of good there.
1: Yeah. And I think the conversation continues to follow up on uh, social media. I think it's great. Like you hopped on discord.
0: Um, so you I you think have the- to explain that to me, cause I, I I'm on it, but I don't know what to do with it yet, but we can circle back on that.
1: Good, good. No, I'm glad you said that. Cause you're, most people are gonna be in your boat. So I think it's good for people to hear that, okay, I'm not alone when I hop on there and I don't know what the hell's going on. I did the same thing at first. I was like, what in God's name is happening here? Uh-huh. Um, but once you figure it out, it's, it's not necessarily like the other plat- other platforms. That's why it's confusing because you're expecting it to look like something else and it doesn't. But then once you, once you figure it out, it doesn't take long. It's extremely simple basically like a messaging platform, um, but it's closed and um, you just have channels. So if you want to talk about fire safety, you go to that channel. It's a little tab on the side that says fire safety. If you want to talk about estimating, you go to that tab. If you want to talk about electrical, you go to that tab. And then if you have a question, you drop it in there. I mean, you, you helped out when someone had a question in the discord around what um, a fire pump detail would cost. Oh, that's, that's why I reached out to you the old fashioned way, but that would have been a great place. You weren't on yet, but I could have just sent it to you on discord and said, Hey, Chris, what do you think? Just ballpark. It would cost to have a pump truck and four firefighters there. Eventually the answer was received on discord. So that solved somebody's problem. they were trying to estimate a job. They were going to have to have a fire pump on standby while they replaced the existing. And, uh, you know the person got their answer they were looking for so it was great yes i think you're right it's it's continuing the conversation here on the podcast but then the conversation continues elsewhere which is which is nice and i also think it's good this is not to pat you on the back but in having been somebody that has worked on the government side before whether it's at a city or town or state um, and i was actually having a conversation with a woman that works for the state uh, she's similar to you and like mike janovich that are on the public side, but willing to go engage in the community, in the industry. A lot of people that I think work in government don't see the benefit of going on LinkedIn or going on a podcast. They think like, well, I'm just gonna do my job and do enforcement and go on the way. But um, I think it's really beneficial for people like myself and most of the people that listen to actually have a conversation with a building inspector or a fire official or somebody that works in that DM or something like that. I think that's great. So um, I I do appreciate that you come on and are willing to come on regularly. I think that's great, but that's not why we, that's not why we're talking. So an interesting thing happened. You brought it up to me. I didn't even see it. Um, There was a large fire in a building, which was an old paper mill in Morris, Illinois. And it ended up being a building that was storing lithium-ion batteries. Just in layman's term, what what happened there? What do you know about
0: it? All right. So I know pretty much I get my info just like most people do. I get it right from the news. I just happened to be watching the news and and what took place the end of last month. I think it was somewhere around the 30th. um, Headlines come out that Morris, Illinois is having a large fire in a warehouse and they evacuated XYZ amount of people because of the smoke that was going downstream. And then it got to a point where they were pointing fingers back that it was lithium ion batteries, and there was tons and tons of batteries. And then it morphed into, as it got out of the media piece, as we started talking on the street side of it, we're hearing the reports coming back that the fire department got bad info, uh, they were told that it's lithium-specific lithium batteries and lithium being the metal piece turned it into a hazardous materials event, and it just seemed to get very convoluted and uh, long downstream. And then it ended up with it burned for several days. Uh, they were trying different things. Things weren't working. They tried the product, I think, uh, you know, this Purple K product. That had no success. They tried doing some stuff with um, dry concrete. I still haven't seen the results of that yet. Now, this will be one of those things that you know, in a year from now, some report will come out, and you know, probably point back to, you know, the pros and cons piece to it. But that's really it in a nutshell. That, that, that's from what I know of it, and I don't know what success they've had. You know, of course, the committees that I sit on with the A55 and the UL stuff, we've had our discussions, and you know, we're playing it around. You know, folks on the engineers, they're kicking the around, saying, "Well, geez, you know." Even if they did encase in a concrete, it didn't solve the problem because they're still burning and what the case was. So that's that's that in an overview nutshell. Hmm.
1: Okay. So I went and did a little homework after you told me about this and I'll fill in some of the numbers and things that happen. And then maybe if you can give some context as someone in fire services, maybe what some of these things might mean when we get to the point about when they're talking about how they put this out. But just for people to get um, an idea, you alluded to the fact that it was thousands of people, but um, they evacuated 5,000 people out of their homes. Uh, It was a half mile radius around this facility. Um, I think an interesting note to point out was it was an old paper mill that was abandoned. It had been had sat empty for quite some time. And then somebody moved in and put 184,000 pounds of lithium ion batteries in there because they wanted to start a solar company in a year from now. So I don't know why they were storing all that stuff ahead of time.
0: The only thing I could think of there, because I saw an article too, and the batteries that were being stored were sized from cell phones all the way up to what's been removed out of automobiles so the only thing i can think of from there is this whatever this vision of this solar company had the repurposing of those batteries however they were going to reconfigure and you know to to get that accomplished because you you
1: you pointed out something interesting to me the other day when we were chatting you were saying now that they have solar panels like you would put on a roof and they have small little energy storage batteries on the backs of those if i understood you correctly
0: yeah they're probably not as small as what we're thinking because you know from what i was hearing through the conversation again i'm here you know this is whatever third party info you know what i mean mm-hmm. but it seems like that the, the the industry has figured out a way to instead of collecting all the solar energy and storing it in a lower level somewhere else they're able to store it at the modular at, at each module right right at the roof so some of those are from what I'm hearing. The number that I heard was 19 kilowatt hours. And to get 19 kilowatt hours is actually pretty big. Because if you look at the Tesla, with the Tesla car battery that they use in the Tesla Powerwalls, those are 13.8 like, kilowatt hours. And those boxes are, I don't know, I'm going to guess maybe 18 inches wide by 24, 30 inches tall. Hmm. So Pretty substantial, uh, yeah, so I think you, your average like solar module, your solar panel has that probably twenty-four by four feet. So whatever that whole rectangle is, that is what they're able to mold some type of battery, if you will, some type of storage piece underneath hmm. it. Yeah,
1: May, maybe take that bigger piece and flatten it out. Yeah, and put it on the bottom of the battery. Yeah, but I guess where I was going with that is maybe they were thinking. Um, You know, those little outdoor lights you can stick in the ground, like those have some type of energy storage in them. So maybe they were going to manufacture all these different types of solar type products. And some of them needed small, as small as a phone battery. Some of them needed the larger batteries, depending on what they were producing. But buyer services and the mayor seemed to be upset when this was going on because they weren't aware that this was going on. And it's interesting because you made the point of in a prior conversation, well, if it, depending on what the occupancy was, if you're storing towels one day and then you're storing, you know, floor mats the next day, it might not be an issue because you're staying in the, the same use group, for lack of a better word, and you're not changing the occupancy. I think the trouble is when we dig a little more, we see it was a paper mill that was abandoned. That would be an F use. This is going to be either. Uh, do you know? Is
0: it a high hazard or is it just great storage? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the use was. I didn't realize it was abandoned. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Again, I, yeah. I don't have all those details. But yep. yeah, at some point, like we were chatting about, you know, I, I think what we'll see is probably somewhere down the road is some type of regulatory piece getting into more um, the, the the want to be in the nose, so wanting to get into inspecting is let's start getting these these warehouse these s1s these s2s or these whatever these use groups are going to qualify under just so folks can see what's going on i mean you, you saw what happened in lebanon when was that that was several months ago with that um, ammonium nitrate it just product just kept coming in coming in coming in and there was nothing overseeing what was coming in and what the fire protection features were if the building could even have it and stuff like that. So it'd be interesting, but yeah, yeah I don't know on this particular case in Morris, I don't know what the details are, um, behind all, you know, it, it, through my eyes being on the fire service side of it, it's a building that, you know, somebody would some stuff in it.
1: Yeah. So I do want to get into that piece. Like what comes of this after the, you know, post fact, but, um, either way, still telling the story a little bit more, City was unhappy. They show up. They don't know what's in there. The owner comes out, tells them lithium ion. There was some confusion between whether it's lithium or lithium ion, I think. They quickly realized that this was a little bit more than they were ready for, right? So I think you might have been alluding to that. So now fire services shows up. They stop putting water on it. What happens in that process? Someone comes out and now there's a material in there that you're
0: not sure about it throws the whole game off you know and especially it was bad info you you brought it out from what that how this story continues is that somebody from that facility approached the fire department pretty much waving their arms in that type of fashion saying no 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 you can't use water because it's lithium and the fire service immediately you know puts the brakes on and say oh wait a minute you know if we do that putting conventional firefighting tactics into something of that nature in the hazmat has this materials community causes a bigger problem so that threw their game off so you know just delayed things and it didn't solve the problem the thing kept burning stuff like that you know getting bad info out the shoot was a big the problem number one
1: yeah so just for reference this was um, it was nice the EPA I'll put it in the show notes has a little timeline but it was June. 29th at lunchtime 12 o'clock they responded um so they our, the fire service okay Yeah, fire service responds get the uh, idea then. there gets there gets to be some confusion at that point because they don't know what they're dealing with and uh this is no knock on the morris fire department but there's not an expertise around how to deal with the battery fires, the lithium ion battery fires. It seems like they're like, okay, we need to know more. They called in the county emergency management system. So like kind of like FEMA and MIMA, it looks like Illinois has a county one. They brought the county one in, Illinois EPA, then gets called in. And then after that, the federal EPA Gets called in. Any idea about what's like how that looks? Like, what's why are those agencies being called in? Do you have like a sense of why that might happen?
0: My, again, not having too much, you know, speaking with anybody directly from that, but I'm kind of thinking that once their thoughts started changing from conventional fire to a hazardous material. Um, I'm sure the fire service now started thinking about what happened in Arizona back in 2019 with those, with those folks, you know, um, going to, you know, they sent several people to the hospital there. And I'm thinking, you know, what they're, they're wanting to know what's going on in that cloud, you know, they once thought was probably just conventional smoke and byproducts of combustion. And now they're wondering what is really inside of it that could be more harmful.
1: So they look at it, they're putting water on it. They hear that from the building owner. They stop putting water on it. Um, now they're seeing, you talked about the color of smoke will sometimes matter, but they're seeing a fair amount of smoke spread. They don't, uh, is it fair to say they're looking at it as a hazardous material fire
0: now? Absolutely. At this point, yeah. They, their game is thrown off and they because that's what happens with hazmat. You know, conventional firefighting, everything is get in, get in quickly. But when it comes to once hazardous material, once that flag gets raised, the brakes get put on and everything, you know, takes a step backwards and and really starts thinking and, you know, on occasion can probably overthink. But, um, yeah, it really slows things down quite substantially. They actually start thinking, you know, in the hazmat community, sorry to interrupt you, but they actually start thinking, well, maybe it's better to just let the product burn, let it go into the environment and monitor for any runoff and whatever goes on downstream and, you know, go that route. So, but again, I don't know what exactly these folks were thinking, but they, that's the one thing is clear is that they got some. Inaccurate information out the chute on what they needed to do to deal with that, and then on top of it, you know, on, on the media side, all we're hearing is the battery piece to it. It was a large warehouse. Who knows what else was in there? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there were some legitimate chemicals that were that were in there that were untracked or undocumented. That 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 word doesn't sound right because somebody must have known what was in there. But mm. again, what the info that was handed out. Um, which is kind of, you know, it really puts it in perspective for us because now we look around, especially you and I here in, you know, Cambridge and Boston, how nice it is, especially in the labs, you know, how how well run ships though those are, you know, when they do store, you know, how they want to stay within the lines of the regulations and and how they are, you know, so on top of uh what the storage is, where here it is. Now you just, you know, it's in a it's in a a blank warehouse and you know, what changed, you know, why does it, what changed along the way there? So that's one thing that I think will definitely get hashed out is we'll watch for eyes on what goes into, to, to these buildings. Hmm. I know they've been doing that with other containers, like, you know, what goes over the road and what getting shipped over the waterways and on trains, you know, now it's just, it'll finally get to this part of the building piece.
1: Yeah. So what you're talking about is when you see the tankers driving down the street, they usually have some type of symbol on them that indicates what's inside. And... Yeah,
0: Something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. And, you're, and, and you your thought process is, hey, do we get to a point where buildings start having
0: that? Right. Or, or things find their way, you know, um, just on scene, you know, whether that's what we're doing with conventional energy storage now. But not all you know, you don't always have the luxury of having a person on scene. but what could be there near uh, fire alarm enunciation? You know, most buildings have some some type of fire protection feature, fire alarm feature. Maybe over mm-hmm. by the fire alarm panel, there could be some. I don't know, just to over. You know, to, to overshadow it. You know, like a a material safety data sheet. You know, the uh, an SDS yep. or something on the lines, or just a, something on paper that just identifies this is what's here. You know, to yeah, better keep an simple, eye. On
1: it. A simple spreadsheet or a matrix that shows what what's there yeah that's that's huge didn't you say the latest edition of 241 um in a prior conversation we had is going to start having some building markings
0: oh so two oh hang on now so now you just jumped you just changed gears you wanted to construction so yes five. yeah yeah i did oh okay so, well yeah because through 855 as well we're having discussions on signage and enhancing marking stuff too so i didn't know which track you're going on so yes, yes on the 241 scheme. Yes. The 2022 edition is published. It was released. Um, It didn't find its way to me because they mailed out the wrong copy. But um, in that document, we put, uh, we spent some time in there as a committee, and we did put language in there for building marking system. The NFPA already has this Oh, it's a long acronym firefighting building, marking system. Mm-hmm. So, so it's already something that was easy to do on the NFPA side for us to, to point to what was already established. As you know, Joe, from you know your, your prior days, what we currently have here in Massachusetts are the abandoned building markings. We have yep. the X and the slash. Yep. They don't give you any of the debt. They give you <laughs> they, they give you some- basics. Yeah. But this will expand on that. Hmm.
1: Yeah. And just so people that are listening um and maybe i'll probably drop it in the intro as well to help let me make a note uh.
0: but it's funny you say that now you make a note to me i've been saying because i i've been on both committees the 241 the 855 from well 855 from the beginning but when i got on it was right on the same time as i got on the 241 committee and there's so many similarities between both you know we we talk in different groups but it's just that we're having very similar challenges you know, like, like like what I've struggled with 241 is all right, what does the fight of how we need to know? We got the same struggles in 855. What does the fight of harmony need to know? What can we provide, you know, that's good signage, you know, staying on on topic of what we are right now? Yep. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, we're going to, it is very interesting and we're going to get into it a little bit more. I think I want to just hold off on a bit, but I do want people to know. So 855 is NFPA 855, it's the
0: standard for stationary energy storage
1: and 241 is the construction fire safety standard. Right. Um, you sit on both of those committees. So um, I was kind of making the connection to the fact that, hey, should just there be general building markings, like you were saying they are on transportation of hazardous materials, should there be a general building marking of hazardous materials? Uh, and you were saying other things, if, there's, if it's a construction side, um, So people know, and most importantly, emergency services know, and they're responding to something, what they're dealing with. You know, I think that might be a logical end to this. Um, It's usually what happens, right? There's some event, something's going to come out of the collapse in Miami. Um, We had the fire in Rhode Island, uh, the station nightclub fire. A lot of changes happened here in Massachusetts around sprinklers and nightclubs and there's a whole NC designation that we adopted. So the two firefighters that sadly uh, tragically passed in the back bay, we ended up getting the hot work certification after that. So, you know, there's usually knock on effects of tragedies over the years. So, you know, I don't know, I mean, this one probably doesn't fall under a, a tragedy, you know, that we were, didn't have a loss of life, thankfully. Um, But I think this is something that maybe opens people's eyes. And that's why I want to have this conversation, because all this technology is coming at us very quickly, codes can't keep up, and, um, you know, I think it's important for people to think about what are all the downstream effects? Yes, it's great to have all this technology, but, you know, what is the downstream effects? Um, on the environment, what's the downstream effects on uh, health and safety, yeah,
0: Resources,
1: you know, uh, all those kind of things. But l- let's keep playing this out. So y- you hit the nail on the head without having even seen it, which is they showed up, fire department showed up um, putting water on it. Then their next thought was, oh, hey, we're just going to let this thing burn itself out. That's what you talked about. And they're even now digging trenches and Sump pumps try and contain things after the fact, like you mentioned too, that that has been what has played out. But they said, okay, hands off, we're just gonna let it burn. But then it seemed like, I guess, overnight they were hearing lots of explosions and things like that. You got into the next day now, and they're looking at it and saying, okay, all this smoke is going everywhere. We're monitoring the air. They brought the EPA and the feds are trying to and private contractors are trying to monitor the air around this thing to see what's, you know, what are the potential hazards that are being released into the air. Um, And then they decided that they need to try and get the fire under control, knock it down if they can. So they move in, they open up a piece of the wall and they use what I read to be special K. No, what's it called? Purple K. Purple K. Purple K. What's something like that look like from an execution standpoint?
0: A long process. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot of product. I don't know what they brought in for quantity. Did you happen to catch any quantity on
1: that? It didn't give a quantity. No, but they said, I think it was a, well, 184,000 pounds of batteries. I want to say it was like a, 30 by 40 area of batteries they were trying to cover?
0: Yeah. So it's a lot of product. And it, traditionally, so this Purple K, it, it it's a very effective firefighting product, predominantly used for Class B fires. And for the folks that don't know that, Class B are your petroleum-based your oils, your, your, your alcohols, um, the, the, the your liquids. Your flammable liquids and your combustible liquid fires. So this has a lot of promise on that because it's a dry powder type substance and it gets dispersed. And however, its chemical makeup, whatever went into it, um, it's that it's potassium based. And however, that reacts to the the product that's being put on that's on fire, it has very good uh, suffocation qualities. You know, it disperses the oxygen part of it. It puts a, a nice powder blanket on it to, to to smother. So that's what they must have started thinking was they'll give that a shot, thinking that they had a combustible or flammable liquids um, matter taking place. And again, I, I can only go by what they were thinking, you know, um, some of the early on the smoke that was being produced was very uh, thick, black, and that's traditional with, you know, um, your, your, your liquids other than your alcohols, but if usually it's usually your, your gasolines and your diesels. They'll be very thick and black. But again, I have always wondered, you know, maybe they were just watching the, the asphalt shingles, you know, if maybe that was what was producing the, the thick black smoke, but mm-hmm. nonetheless, this is what they signed. And I didn't even know they did that. I didn't even know that they cut a hole in the wall and that was their point of entry, but which is good. Um, but so they tried it. And it's it, it, see the, the issue though, with, a dry chemical on the lithium-ion battery is what the lithium-ion battery is starving for at that point is that it's, well, for the suppression tank, is it needs the cooling piece to it because most of the lithium-ion batteries um, out of the family of lithium-ion batteries, most of them, if not all of them, go into this condition called thermal runaway, which is essentially they're able to self-sustain. Once they've heated to a certain point, no more, there's too much heat that's being produced that could be dissipated. And in, in the mix of that, what happens is that they go into this phenomenon called thermal runaway. And um, in that process, they actually are starting to produce their own oxygen. So it helps keep that mm-hmm. fire tetrahedron going, you know, because now they, are, they have enough fuel, now they have enough oxygen and there's enough heat. So it keeps that, that chain reaction, it keeps that burning process going. So maybe they're thinking trending, well, all right, there's an oxygen problem now. Maybe we can do something for the smothering. But the lithium ion, what it really needs, though it needs the cooling piece to it. And that's why all the the studies that are going out and all the learnings that we're we're trying to play catch up in to get the the, the fire industry, you know, um, into and trained into is to use water. And you know, just like what the What they say with the car fires the 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 hybrids and the electric vehicle cars you know the copious amounts there's no real exact well there's no fire ground science that will tell you you know how much water you're going to need so that's why it's you know being very open-ended on that but you need a lot of water and it's that cooling piece that needs to you know the difficulty there though is the penetration you know especially you know when you have batteries that now that they're all huddled next to each other so how do you get enough opening to, to get the water in there. but then again yeah. back to the, they were told not to use water because of that lithium name that comes, that stigma that comes with the lithium ion. Hmm. And for folks that are listening, just so you have some some kind of understanding of what I'm talking about is once the chemistry changes from lithium to the lithium ion, Predominantly, the raw lithium piece, and usually it's very tiny, small amounts as compared to the overall size of the battery. Very small amounts of raw lithium make up the battery. Once it converts, once that chemistry changes and converts, it's no longer that raw lithium, so it doesn't give those characteristics of being reactive to water anymore. Hmm. That's one thing that we're working on with the fire service side. And if we circle back, I'll let you know what uh, we're doing with um, the city of Boston. Um, we can come back to that. But the bottom line is that you know the, the, the batteries, they need to be cooled. You know, it's, it's no longer that, uh, I mean, there's no hazardous concerns because the batteries, they're off-gassing and they're off-gassing flammable mixtures. And there's generally uh, high concentrations or potential high concentrations of hydrogen and high concentrations of carbon monoxide and even carbon monoxide. At certain levels, is still a flammable gas. Uh, we know it as a poisonous gas under the you know conditions that we generally see it, but it can have characteristics to be a flammable gas. So, so that's so that's actually some of the rethinking that we're doing, re exploring because we've already had it covered for flammable gas and ventilation, but we're really spending a lot more time um, on that side of it in the in the new draft the uh the new cycle 355 but again circling back you know i know that was kind of long winded but it's it, it, the batteries need to be cooled and that's ultimately going to extinguish the fire and then of course you know there's a concern you're hearing these explosions yeah because that thermal runaway piece it's a cell to cell propagation that's taking place and that's what's happened those those cells have expanded so much they're popping and releasing once they've done that, though, hmm. they're out of the picture. There might still be some, uh, you know, like plastic encasement that's still, you know, keeping the, those batteries together. But that cell is gone. It's not doing anything, you know. It's not going to rejuvenate and explode again unless somehow it was able to retain some stuff. But
1: Okay. That fits nicely into kind of what – so they went in, they did the Purple K, which you're saying is like a powder-type product. That they threw on it they also said they added uh, a little bit of water with that with the purple k as well i'm not sure why they would um do that and then they said once the batteries are cooled which you were just saying they then showed up and applied portland cement okay we had a quick little audio issue there so we're going to restart up our conversation now with chris Okay, so this is playing out nicely. All the things that you have been saying along the way, you're saying, oh, well, they might just stop, let it burn out, and try and contain it. That happened. You were talking about with lithium ion um, in the thermal runaway, you really want to make sure things uh, cool down. That's the key. Um, And it seems like their thought was that Purple K and a little bit of water cools these batteries down, got it to the point where they could then um, put the dry Portland cement on it. And, and, and I understand, like, you don't have all the information here and this is just speculation, but what's your, like, what's the level of concern with going and even getting too close to the fire when you don't know what the potential is there? Is that something where they're talking to the people at the EPA and emergency management and saying, hey, what's the hazard here? Should we just, how, how do you make that decision between, hey, we're just going to sit back and leave us alone or we're going to go and engage?
0: Yeah, that, that, that's a great, that's a great question. Uh, again, I, 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 it will all come out, the decision making that went on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I can think of was now frustration kicked in. Uh, it's a long duration event. It's not going anywhere. Now it's televised, so it's got eyes on it. Now you have all these resources that have been pulled in, and I'm sure everybody, well, you know, you're getting everybody's perspective. Well, geez, yeah, we're monitoring the air, and there's all whether there were or not, but somebody's probably interpreting that there's a lot of badness in it. So now it gets to a point where you're just tr- pulling all the stops and just trying to, stop the event, you know, or, 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 or get it to a piece that's a a part that, that's a lot more manageable. And I don't know what the driver was um, to say and what they were thinking that dry Portland cement was actually going to do. Or they were figuring out, well, it's dry. So obviously when it's not wet, it's not carrying all that water in it. If so, it's dry, they could probably disperse it. And I don't know I would imagine maybe through something similar that they did the purple K. And then they probably figured they'd throw some water to, so they could get it to somewhat mix and get it to solidify to, to do stuff. Cause I'm not seeing if they were the and cement, was it there to try to do something similar as the purple K on that smothering of being dry? You know, I think you had mentioned, or somebody had mentioned, you know, why not just use sand? You know, yeah, that was me. That's what um, I wondered. Like well, I, it was, I have no idea. The only thing, again, that poor fire chief, whatever the info he is getting at that time, is making him make these solid decisions from what he has in front of him. And, and again, So it must have some group must have said, well, yeah, the only way this is going to stop is by some sort of encapsulation piece. And this is the only way that we can uh, quickly come up with a solution to try to conquer that. know because again you know on these these subcommittees we 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 side by and we're chatting about that and you know even even by doing that it was probably a good likelihood that the event didn't stop it's it's not going to it's not going to immediately stop the thermal runaway piece i mean we're trying to figure out you know how could you completely if, if if you have a pile of stuff that's burning how can you completely Encapsulated, and then you know we start thinking what's the cleanup going to look like hmm. on top of it you know now you're going to have i mean you're going to have guys come in there with um or gals coming in there with equipment and they're going to try to chip that out but now there's batteries that still have potentially stored energy in them and what type of equipment is that going to need to chip that out i i don't know <laughs> i don't know mr kelly but again hopefully we get time to circle back this is why we're, we're on this mission of what we're doing here between Cambridge and Boston. And hopefully it'll, you know, like what we did with 241, hopefully it'll gain some legs and at least in this region to get us a little bit better prepared for it.
1: So I'll finish running out the details here. So you alluded to it, it was going on a long time. So it started at 12 lunchtime on the 29th. It was 11 p.m. on the 30th when they were putting the Portland cement on it. So you're a day deep into this thing at that point. And then just to kind of continue to run out the timeline, to answer your question, they were getting readings in the air. I don't know what they were monitoring for. They were monitoring for a whole host of things, but they were getting some high levels they were concerned about. So that might've been contributing to the need to tamp the thing down. A little technical difficulty there, but just to finish running the gamut uh, of roughly what happened, uh, July 1st now, they're still getting high readings for air monitoring. They're digging a trench around the building, putting some pumps in. July 2nd, batteries still reacting. So whatever that means, you know, whether they're popping off, like you said, they're um, exploding. Uh, July 3rd, so five days later, the evacuation order is lifted. So people have been out of their homes for five days at this point. Now everybody's going back in, 5,000 residents. July 9th, there's a lot of stuff in between here, but just um, the EPA was providing support to the fire department by removing part of an unstable brick concrete wall near a smoldering hotspot inside the building. So still having hot spots. There was two big ones from what I read through it. EPA feds feds are still there trying to deal with this. Obviously the fire department's still there. What's that? July 9th. So we're talking 12 days later. Mm -hmm. Um, July 18th was the last, um, update I saw. And then you told me, I guess they're now 23rd or something like that. Twenty second. So this is still ongoing. Um, they're still monitoring the air. Um, their quality around the perimeter of the site in the neighborhood is good. Um, they're still planning the cleanup. So they don't even have them fully executed yet. I don't think they know what to do. And I don't know what it says in the most latest post, but you know, now we're almost three weeks deep into this thing and they still don't know how we're going to clean it up. That's a pretty major impact.
0: And at the end I, of the day, it's probably no different than what every other conventional building structure fire out there produces. You know, I mean, I'm sure you've seen, what I mean by that is on the sense that how many times you've been to a very large building fire scene, and you've seen, you know, all the debris going into the sewers, and then all the smoke products that are in the air. I'm I'm not convinced yet uh, that this, because it has these batteries, made that piece anything more significant than a traditional building fire. I just think is because it was the long duration and the, all the unknowns that pulled in all these resources to, 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 to get to this point. Mm. If you can yeah, read I, between the lines, what I'm saying, you know, I,
1: I do. And I think the distinction would be a modern building fire. Cause I don't know if you've seen any of the, um, like the mock-ups they've done and like when they show how quickly with modern like drapery and carpets that are like all fuel based and petroleum based stuff and how quickly that fire goes versus a traditional home fire. If you had wool carpets and, you know, wood furniture and stuff like that and not foams and all this other kind of stuff. Um, All of the, cheap chemicals that go into everything. That's obviously not a very scientific way to put it, but I think you'll get the point, right? All this modern junk that we have in our homes is highly flammable and produces a lot of carcinogenics, right? All the fire treatments, we learn that that's carcinogenic, right? right. And that's why now we see Massachusetts, which historically had a very strict level of cal standards they've brought that down because they are realizing, oh hey those treatments cause cancer um so you're right there's a lot of hazards out there in every fire uh we don't really know is this worse or better than a regular fire i think you're right we we don't really know but it's concerning it's concerning the ability to be able to keep it in control um what what do we do with the batteries when they're done anyway. Forget the fires. Yeah. Right. How well can we recycle these? Are they being recycled? Um, and I think that's really where I would love this conversation to go, which is there's all these new technologies. Um, if people heard, I probably did it two years ago. I did a little thing on energy storage. And you know, you and I talked a lot about it. But in my mind, it was always about, hey, there's all this stuff about renewable energy. And solar panels are great when the sun shines and windmills are great when the wind blows. But when the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining, now what do we do? The only way renewables work is with energy storage. So energy storage is fantastic, but what are the hazards? What are the risks? How do codes keep up? And can they keep up? Do you think they can keep up?
0: Yeah, you know, funny you say that. That's kind of like where we are. I mean, 855, we started out when, when the committee formed back in 2016 to start the process for doing a document for 2017. We were 30 members, as most NFPA documents are. We're now over 60 members of principal members. Um, where I'm going with this is that over the three, four years that we've been doing it, especially the second year in is when it really got the attention of the industry of the telecommunications and the, and the, um, the utilities, it, it, it just shows how much is needed to tackle the issue. The good thing, the beautiful thing, and I've said it before, is that everybody wants to play ball. Everybody wants an end product to be as safe as possible. But with that, Going back through all the meetings and all the discussion, I don't want to make it sound like we don't know what we're talking about. I certainly don't because I don't have those levels of the, the technical experience and the engineering and the science side of it. But it, here it is. We still, you know, four years later, we're still t- having discussions about, well, all right, for the stuff that's going to go in these conX boxes or something that's going to go into a building, we're still reviewing and doing analysis on Sprinkle ahead and designs, and where the coverage is going to be, where the smoke detection, where the gas detection. We're still trying to develop that. You see what I'm saying? We don't even have something that's, I don't want to say, it, it's not perfected. You know, I yeah. mean, I know part of the process there has been the actual burning up of this equipment. You know, it's very expensive. Um, for manufacturers to make there's a lot of components and you know, a lot of moving parts a lot of pieces of the puzzle and You know they in their mind. They're thinking that you know, and to some degree it's, it's fully safe What more do they possibly need but now we're starting to learn from these meteor events like Morris and in surprise, Arizona of the What takes place when they do burn, you know, so here it is. We're trying to put all these layers in to capture to prevent the burning but we still don't have it refined on, you know, what it's going to be when they do burn. So it's interesting, you know, I don't want to say we've, we've re well, we have that opportunity now that we're in the revision cycle of of the documents. So we have that the door is open to some degree uh, to based on based on certain areas that, that, you know, people have put some comments into, but it's funny. It's almost like we're getting, sometimes it's almost like we're going backwards and it's funny. It seems like every time we're in discussions, it's almost like we go full circle. We'll start on a, a topic, we'll get all these ideas, and it seems like we all come back to square one. So it's mm-hmm. real interesting.
1: Yeah, and it's almost like, I'm, I'm going to say we, but I just mean the industry is, well, it, to some degree, is always going to be out in front of their skis because there's new technology. And we're talking about one piece of technology. <laughs> Think about how much conversation we've had already. Well, what else is out there that's happening that we're not, up to speed with right and it's only gonna it's only gonna accelerate and go faster and you know i kind of see we get to a place where engineers and architects probably more so engineers have to do their own due diligence so we've been installing energy storage or there's energy storage going into places but we really haven't had sufficient codes to address them the codes are uh, out, outdated to the technology. And it's in, you know, I some of the education that I've done on energy storage, I often talk to them at the end and I go through all the codes, the fire code, the building code, the residential code, and I show them here, this is what it says about it, the electrical code. Here's what it says about energy storage. And they're shocked how little it said. Yeah. And how much of it was in inaccurate for lithium iron, where they might have been talking about lead acid batteries. So the code is talking about lead acid for energy storage and they're putting in lithium ion, but then you go to, what is it? UL, what's it? 9540?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like safety standard for the product safety standard for how a, an energy storage system gets put together, gets the yeah. certifications.
1: You know, so now that has been brought into 855, at least in some capacity. But prior to that, it was out there. But you as an engineer, probably had to go to that UL standard, even though it's not the adopted code in the state that you're working. And you almost got to do your own homework, there's not the code there to give you guidance. So I think, as technology continues to move faster and faster, I think we're gonna get a point where engineers are going to be required to kind of almost do their own due diligence about what's safe. But then what does that mean for their errors and omissions insurance? in their liability insurance right um i think if they're putting in new products that aren't accepted or aren't acknowledged in the code you know what's their exposure what's what's their risk there so um you know i think that's a whole another conversation i think i think the point is here though that um these technologies get ahead of us we get disasters like this we get life safety hazards for both responding personnel and the general public Um, solar panels. We chatted about that for instance, great technology, but um, I hear some folks in the fire services saying that it's a problem when it comes to firefighting procedures. Explain to people why it might be an issue when you have solar panels on a roof.
0: Oh, well, okay. So if you take your conventional single Family home, you know the, the the typical one or two story, and then you have your A-frame roof. Obviously, in that application, the solar panels need to find themselves to the roof.
1: Oh. Hold tight. Maybe we we'll oh. start at the beginning. What's the what's the issue with trying to fight a fire with solar panels on the roof?
0: So, if you take the solar panel application of your t- traditional single-family home, that's a two one or two story, and have your A-frame roof. For us on the fire service, it's that roof that we look to ventilate, because fires all burn the same, it, it, you know the heat is rising. So we're trying to ventilate so we can depressurize and, and get a better interior environment to make it safer for interior firefighting operations. Now that you put this equipment, that don't mean you specifically, now that this equipment has found its way there, it makes that tough, because now... That equipment inherently comes with its stigma, uh, just like how lithium ion has that lithium name now because PV generating electricity has this automatic shock piece to it. And to some degree, there is some legitimacy there. But once we better educate fire forces out there uh, to know, like, where those locations could be, other than what we would circle back, other than what we're talking about now with the incorporated energy storage right into the module. That's a game changer. But traditionally, you know, it's just a panel. But you still can't, the panel's in the way, you know. So now what it's forced us to do is start thinking of horizontal ventilation measures, you know. So now it's whether if there's in the gambrel on the side of the roof, if there's louvers that could be removed, or if we have to actually start cutting holes. But it's still not optimal because now it's forcing that fire travel you know, let's say it's on the center of the building and now it's looking now doing that where before we we're trying to get that chimney effect to take everything straight out and less of mm. the damage and what have you. So it's made that. So now the regulatory side of it, how it's played out here is that, you know, we're an NFPA state. So we have NFPA one in chapter 11 for building services that Massachusetts took that out of the fire code because in there it had some good language Maybe not a bit perfect, but that's a really good language for general overview on like for setbacks. You know, you'd have like three foot, you know, it's kind of like what you'd see with normal electrical equipment. You have three feet, you know, but it doesn't look at it that way because mass, you know, we we have the the ICC codes and there they have the IFC. And it's the IFC that pulls that out and, you know, kind of governs that and leaves that into the building code side of it. Which to some degree it belongs there. I'm not saying it doesn't. Um, It's just that piece, though, doesn't do anything for firefighting operations. Mm -hmm. So that just created the challenge. And, you know, like we might have been talking about, you know, because you and I have many, many conversations, you know, where is the real, who is looking at that? You know, now if it's something that's regular in IFC, and if IFC says, yeah, you're supposed to maintain a three foot, whatever, sides or three foot up at the ridge, who's actually looking at that? And I don't think anybody is because, Generally, and I'm sure you hear it all the time, you know, the argument is, is that they need to maximize. So they want 100 percent of the roof to, to put product. And if and if they give some argument, oh, you know, that's the only way it's going to be sustainable, put it on. Nobody really wants to turn that away. So somebody, you know, not intentionally, but maybe uh, some, you know, the building comes out of the wire inspector. certainly so not looking for it, but they just say, no, yeah, it looks good to me. And there's, you know. Mm. I'm not saying that the building department doesn't think of the fire service it's just that for that period in time for what they're trying to accomplish that wasn't uh you know what they
1: were looking at in that moment yeah
0: yeah. yep
1: and then you get into the whole tesla where the roof shingles are actually solar panels and things just spin out from there and like you said and now there's energy storage on the back of the panel and uh, and i know i'm a, a little Aways from what you were talking about with the building and electrical officials there, but just going back to the fact that there's all this technology that happens, and we have to really think about the downstream effects, which yeah. is which is
0: tough. And like uh, you say, once we finally get caught up to what's out there for products now, the products are going to change. I mean, I've already heard many rumors and um, discussions of the lithium-ion battery technology going away. You know, right now it's the one of choice. You know, it has its pros and cons, and, you know, it, it has its good points for a cost, and but they're large, and they can only go so far. And now somebody's trying to make a better mousetrap, and I'm sure some other technology is going to be out there and how it gets created and how it's going to be put together.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so I think the last thing, just kind of proving our point is, you know, you sent to me over a memo that went out from uh, the commissioner of... Division of Professional Licenser, which is the division that writes the building code and the state fire marshal talking, giving guidance on installing energy storage in a one and two family home. Continuing with our theme, we had some technical difficulties here. So it was a bit too choppy in multiple places. So I had to take a big chunk out and we're gonna close out with uh, Chris and I running through what is in that memorandum, that one out from the state. Uh, I will also attach that memorandum in the show notes. Thanks. So the code nerds that were just listening absolutely loved that. Um, for the people that that might have been well over their heads or might be thoroughly confused, the long story short there is that the state of Massachusetts came out with a special memo just to address one- and two-family homes for the Tesla power wall that someone wants to buy and hook their solar panel up to and put a small suitcase size battery pack on their wall in the basement, which will be lithium-ion batteries. We've talked a lot today about what happens with lithium-ion batteries. And they realize that, okay, the codes don't oh, wow. allow for that. It, it allows for it, but it doesn't give any good guidance on it, you know. And this just says, like, okay, you need fire-rated sheetrock on the ceiling. You need a closed room. It just kind of gives the guidance there. So the state of Massachusetts did a great thing there. That's what we need. But the point here, I think, for the episode is that's probably a couple years late. And
0: Well, you bring a good point. Sorry to interrupt because I wanted to pull this piece in, the retroactivity piece to it. Because don't forget now, this guidance document is going back to Chapter 52, as it got adopted on October 19th, I think it was October 19th, but it was definitely October of 2019. So <laughs> for any of the listeners that had any type of installation that came out after chapter 52 was adopted, this guidance document applies. So if, in other words, if if an installation went into an area that the hardwired smoke detector wasn't part of, or the sheetrock wasn't part of, there's going to, there absolutely should be some catch up to go to back to to get those corrected. Got it. Now, with that said, the industry side that we have in Massachusetts, there aren't that many players that are doing these installs. You've mm-hmm. got the the, the the Tesla folks, which is Solar Run, Solar Run, whatever. I don't want to mention any companies names, but yeah. they're only maybe, a, I only see a, a,
1: a couple, maybe a handful. I think I've only seen LG and Tesla
0: for so the you equipment. Don't. But, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. The, the actual, the, the companies that are doing the installs, there's only about a handful of you. them doing that. So hopefully those people will end up, you know, they, they got to go back to those customers and say, hey, we did this application, um, we come up short, you know, we, we got to, you know, if, if something, if a certain technology is going to give off hydrogen, we got to make sure we put ventilation. There was no hardwired smoke detector. We got to get that interconnected to all your, 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 your detectors. And then if your house didn't already have it, that all we put it in the wrong spot, we got to move it. So hopefully there's some catch-up that gets played there for to get get those folks. Now I don't know how many installs there could be, because the only reason I say that is the uptick from what I see here mm-hmm. in, in in Cambridge has only recently started within the last six to eight months. Doesn't mean that they weren't starting, you know what I mean? So maybe maybe it won't be that bad of a catch-up because yeah. they've only been doing this for the last year or so hopefully
1: all right well this was great Chris I think it was a good education and it was a interesting story to to tell tell a story together and then for you to give your um, you know your perspective on it was helpful and it's really helpful that you are on 855 just the ability to be able to talk about energy storage is is really helpful so um, hopefully people got um, a good education here and I'm sure you'll be back soon Okay, Mascons, thanks for listening. Thanks for writing those reviews, M. Haskins, J-Bar123. We appreciate that. I appreciate everybody that's written them in the past, who is going to write them in the future, as well as everybody that likes and shares this podcast in any way you see fit. Again, going back to what we said in the beginning, if you're interested in dropping a question, I'm going to have Mike Yanovich on to interview me if there's something you want to know about business, personal life, school, whatever it is, uh, go ahead and shoot me a DM or go to org. There's a contact form in there. A uh, million ways to find me. Write a review and ask me the question. That's fine too. So appreciate you listening. Appreciate everything you do. See you next week. Take
0: care.